Amen. Amen. Oh, love our time of worship at the Oasis. Thank you, all of you. Exodus 33 tonight. Exodus 33 as we continue our series in the book of Exodus. I have entitled the chapter tonight, Show Me Your Glory. One of the great statements in the Bible, one of the greatest requests any human ever made of God, Moses made, recorded for us in this chapter. In fact, let me say this. As Nicole and I were working through the book of Exodus, and we came to this passage of Scripture, she was sharing with me her notion, her idea, the stirring of the Spirit within her to introduce this song that we just sang, Show Me Your Glory, to us as a church family. And as she always does, she, she prayed about it. She wanted to make sure that this was the Lord's leading. And she shared that song with me and I was so moved the first time I heard it and, and as I continued to listen to it, as I continued to learn it and sing it for myself, and I really felt like God said, I want that song to be somewhat of an anthem song for our church in this season. That no matter what you and I are going through personally in our lives, no matter what God is going to take us through corporately as a church, that the one thing more than anything else is that we just want to be a people that knows more about God above everything else. Everything else is secondary. But we just want God to show us more of himself. And may that be our heart's desire in this season that we find ourselves in. I want to begin by reminding us that this chapter comes on the heels of what happened in the previous chapter that we looked at a couple weeks ago, where Moses is having this intimate connection and an experience with God on the mountain, and the people of God are committing idolatry. Aaron has made a golden calf, and they are celebrating these idols that they have made. And they are rebelling against their God, a God to whom they owe everything. Their lives, their freedom because he delivered them from Egypt, the miracles that he has done in their midst, his leading, his goodness, his provision, his protection, his power, I mean all of it, and in spite of all of it, their hearts turned away from God. So remember that that's the context that we have here as we come into chapter 33. And we see in the very first phrase, the Lord continuing to speak to Moses. In fact, you see this in verse 1. Then notice verse 14, the Lord said, Verse 17, the Lord said to Moses. Verse 19, the Lord said. Again, no matter how long Moses walks with God, 
God is continually speaking into Moses' life. He is continuing to lead Moses step by step by step. There's never a point in our life where we've heard everything we need to hear or should want to hear from God. It is a continual revelation from God as he leads us through his word and by his voice. And we must be dialed in to the voice of God. And like sheep that know our shepherd's voice, we know when our shepherd is speaking to us and we are listening to him. Because God wants to speak to his people. He's always been a God who communicates with his people. Over and over again in the Gospels, when Jesus was on earth, he would say, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. God wants to open up our ears and speak into our minds and into our hearts. And God was doing that with Moses. Even after all these years, Moses never got to a place in his life where he could, in a sense, say, okay, God, stop speaking. I, I have all that I need. No, God was going to continue to speak as long as Moses was continually listening. And God wants to see that same heart in us. Notice God says to him in verse 1, go up, literally means to walk. Walk from here, you and the people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt. Isn't that gracious of God? God's the one that brought them up. But God, in a sense, is giving Moses credit for his obedience to God by saying, Moses, you let him too because you were my leader and you were following me. And so I'm going to give you credit here, Moses. Yes, it was ultimately me that led them, but you led them too to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying... I will give it to your descendants. A couple of things. God is saying to Moses and to us, walk in my promises. Walk in my promises. In order to walk in God's promises, we've got to know the promises of God. You cannot walk in something you do not know. Therefore, we have to familiarize ourselves with the promises of God. And secondly, notice that God is saying, I will be faithful to you, to the promises that I made to Abraham, even Isaac and Jacob, even though you as a people have not been faithful to me. God will always be reliable, dependable, faithful, trustworthy in spite of our lack of it. And you see that even here illustrated in this chapter. I will send, verse 2, an angel before you. And as I promised, I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. So go, walk up to a land flowing with milk and honey. God is still going to bless his people because he promised them. And God never reneges on his promises. God's promises 
are always true, and God wants us to walk in those promises. But then notice verse 3. But I will not go up. God himself now has said, because of the sin of my people, I will not go. My personal presence will not accompany you into the promised land. You will have all the blessings that I promised, but you will not have my presence. For you are a stiff-necked people, a stubborn, hard-hearted people. And if I go, I might end up destroying you along the way. This chapter is much about the presence of God. And do we value the presence of God above all things? Because note here that God, in a sense, is saying, I will give you everything that I promise, but you will not have my personal presence. All the blessings of this life do not match or make up for the lacking of God's presence in one's life. We could have everything that this world could give to us, and yet if we do not have the personal presence of God, we really have nothing. But if we have the personal presence of God, and we have nothing else. We still have everything that we need. Amen. That's why I love that phrase or that chorus in the song, Show Me Your Glory. When your presence is in the room, nothing else is needed. Nothing else is needed. Now, I don't know where, again, you are in your life right now, what season you're in, what you're dealing with, what you're struggling with, but, but I do know this. As long as you have the presence of God with you, you've got everything you need. And though you may look and go, boy, I, I wish I had that, I, I wish of this would work, I, I wish this would work out... If you've got the presence of God, you've got everything you need. Because all the blessings of this life without the presence of God mean nothing. And you see that. Notice the reaction of the people of God, these idolaters who have rebelled against God. What do they do when they hear that they can have all the blessings of the land flowing with milk and honey, and yet God's presence doesn't go with them. When they heard this, verse 4, they mourned. <laughs> no one put on those ornaments anymore, those trappings of idolatry, those things that, that symbolize them celebrating around the golden calf. All of a sudden, they go from celebrating to mourning. How quickly things can change. It's almost like they got a real big wake-up call. 
and they realized because they had walked with the presence of God how much they would miss God's presence amongst them. Even if God gave them all the other things that he had promised, it wouldn't match or make up for the lacking of his presence. It's one of the things that we all need to be reminded of. We can get enamored and captivated by thinking about heaven and, you know, the description of, of what God does reveal to us about heaven and all of that. And I'm not saying that heaven is not going to be a wonderful, amazing, and incredible place. But what is going to make heaven heaven is that God is there. And that God is dwelling in the midst of his people for all of eternity. That's what makes it glorious. Not the streets of gold and the walls of jasper and emeralds and all of these beautiful things that heaven's going to be and not the no more crying and no more dying and no more tears. I mean, again, all of that's wonderful, but what makes it more wonderful than anything else is that God will be there. So the Lord said, verse 5, tell the Israelites, you are a stiff-necked people. And if I went up among you for a moment, I might just wipe you off the face of the earth. But then notice what God says. Take off your trappings of idolatry that I may know what I should do to you. That's important. Because now God, in a sense, is saying, I'll respond to you if you respond to me. And that's the kind of God that he is. That, that's what a relationship is. A relationship is not one-sided. It's both parties interacting and responding to each other back and forth. And so God is saying to his people, I'll give you another chance. I want to see, do you value me above your idols? Do you value me above your celebrations? Do you value me above the trappings of idolatry that you have created, the golden calf and all of these ornaments that symbolize your rebellion? What will you do? And then I will determine, based upon your response, how I'll respond. So the Israelites, notice, stripped off, removed their ornaments, and threw them away. That's significant. That, that's the way God always works with his people. God makes determinations about how he's going to respond based upon our response to him. And that's why it's so important that we learn in worship to be a responsive people. Because note, God several times in this chapter says, you know your problem? You're stubborn. You're stiff-necked. You're hard-hearted. You won't move. You won't respond no matter what I do. And so the greatest, one of the greatest characteristics we can have, one of the greatest attitudes we can have is that we are always a tender-hearted, responsive people that when God is moving and working, we respond to him and we learn to do that every day through our worship of God. 
We don't just do it once a week on Sunday or Wednesday night. We're to be a responsive people every day of the week. As God moves in our life, we respond to him. And we keep our heart tender and pliable in God's hands. Moses, verse 7, took his personal tent. This is not the tabernacle, folks. Tabernacle has not been constructed yet. This is, in a sense, Moses' personal tent. And he pitches it outside the camp. Why? Because there needs to be separation between the people of God because of their sin and a holy God. A good distance from the camp. And then he called it the tent of meeting where God would come down and meet with his people. And he says, anyone seeking, the word seeking literally means to desire. Anyone who desires more of God, you can come out to my tent that was outside the camp and you can meet with God in my tent. Now, I want you to note something then beginning in verse 8 because I hope that this will inspire you. Moses became an inspiration to the people of God by the way he went after God. May you and I desire God so much that not only are we filling our lives with God, but people are watching us as we pursue God, as we worship God, as we serve God, as we grow in God. And hopefully our life, like Moses, becomes an inspiration in other people's lives, a motivation for them to catch what we have with God. When Moses, verse 8, went out to the tent, all the people would get up and stand at the entrance of their personal tent and watch Moses until he entered the tent. Get this. The people of God were literally gazing at Moses meeting God. And whenever Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. By the way, to meet with God is to hear the voice of God. That's one of the reasons why God always wants to continually meet with his people. Do you see that there? As Moses entered the tent and met with God, the Lord spoke with him. When you and I are meeting with God, we should be hearing his voice. When we are worshiping God as Moses did, whether it's personal, in our own personal tent, if you will, of worship, or whether it's corporately, like here at the Oasis, we should be hearing the voice of God because to meet with God is to hear the voice of God. When all the people, verse 10, would see the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, notice, all the people, each one at the entrance of his own tent, would do what? Rise and worship. The appropriate response when one encounters the presence of God is to bow down, which is what the word worship means. They are rising up to bow down. It is an expression of profound reverence. And the Lord would speak to Moses, notice this, face to face. And then I love this, the way a person speaks to a friend. 
Not any kind of friend. The word used for friend here speaks about a very dear friend, a close friend, a very intimate friend. There are certain friends or friendships that you and I have in our life that there's a closeness there. There's a, a connection there. And notice, how should we speak to each other? Well, I'm not discounting other ways, but notice the value God places on what? face-to-face. I get all our technology, and I'm not dismissing it all, but we cannot substitute technological connection with others in place of face-to-face. Nothing takes the place of face-to-face, and God is saying here, Moses and I were like two friends just sitting across from each other, just engaging with each other. And God says there's something sweet about that kind of a connection. Because God knew people get that. I I understand what that means. He's bringing it down, this interaction with an amazing God, to a level that we can understand and even incorporate into our lives. That's why I share with people, listen, I love the fact that we have live streams. And in fact, It's not just for folks that maybe they can't be here one Sunday or one Wednesday and all of that, but make no mistake about it, live stream cannot take the place of face-to-face. There's something about face-to-face. And by the way, the way God describes the kind, again, of relationship that he had with Moses, it's unprecedented. Moses had a greater degree of intimacy and closeness with God more than anyone else that's described in the Bible. Moses would return to the camp, verse 11, but his servant Joshua, son of Nun, a young man, did not leave the tent. Moses was being an inspiration to the people of God. They saw him go into his tent and meet with God, and it inspired them to rise up and worship God as well. May we live in such a way that as people are watching us and the way we live our lives and what our values are and what our priorities are and what our passions are, that we are an inspiration to others to rise up and worship God. Moses said to the Lord, See, you have been saying to me, Bring this people up, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. You said back in verse 2 or verse 1, I'll send, or verse 2, yeah, I'll send an angel, but more specifics. And notice Moses really is pleading with God to restore the provision of his presence. But you said, I know you by name. And also you have found favor in my sight. This is what Moses is saying God has said to him in their friend-to-friend, face-to-face time. So if I have found favor in your sight, here's the first request. Show me your way. This is a request for greater intimacy and closeness with God. Notice he isn't saying to God, show me your works. Show me your acts, because that's not really intimate. You and I live in a world where we see the actions and works of people all the time, but that doesn't mean we really know them. 
Even the people of God saw the acts and the works that God did, the miracles and things. That's one level. Moses wants to go deeper with God than that. Moses says, I don't want to just see your works because anybody can see your works. Unbelievers can see your works. Those that don't believe you and trust in you can see your works. I want to see your way. I want to know your heart. I want to know, God, what makes you tick. I want to know what you're thinking about right now. I want you to share with me what's on your mind right now. Those are the things that God, that's the way a friend is going to interact with a close, intimate friend. It's going to go deeper than the superficial. And that's the kind of relationship that Moses wants to have with his God. May we desire that as well. Notice, show me your way that I may know you. That's incredible. No one knows God better than Moses on planet Earth at this time. And yet Moses saying, I still don't know enough of you. I want to know more. Show me your way, God. Show me your way that I may continue to find favor in your sight and see that this nation is your people. Who they are and what happens to them is going to reflect on God. Because God, in a sense, as we used to say, has hooked his wagon to them. Amazing God. That God would wrap himself up in even us today and call us his people. Therefore, his reputation is connected to us. The way the world looks at God is many times reflected through the church, his people. That's the way God designed it. Incredible, isn't it? And the Lord said, verse 14, my presence will go with you. Now, please note that. Now God says, okay, I'll go with you, Moses. And I will give you rest, singular. By the way, God's presence brings rest. The word means to be settled. When you and I experience the presence of God, there is a rest that comes with his presence. But notice what Moses said to God. Again, did you know? The boldness, if you will, the, the transparency that Moses has with God is the kind of sort of transparency and, and things that you would only say to somebody that you know pretty well. You, you wouldn't say these things to just anybody, to somebody that's just an acquaintance. When you have a close connection with somebody, you all have a give and take that goes deeper than just, again, the superficial. So Moses is able to say to God, if your presence does not go with us, notice that, God already said, I'll go with you. Moses says, no, 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 God, I, I want you to go with all of us. Do not then take us up from here if you won't go with all of us. Because again, 
if you won't come with us, then why are we even going? When his presence is in the room, nothing else is needed. That's all Moses cared about. It wasn't the land flowing with milk and honey and all the wonderful things that the promised land would be. It, it was all going to be great. It was all going to be wonderful. But it would mean nothing if God's personal presence was not there to accompany them and, and to be with them in their midst. How will it be known, verse 16 then, that I have found favor in your sight and I and your people? Is it not by your going with us so that we will be distinguished God's people are to be different. We are to be distinct from all the people who are on the face of the earth. Peter says it this way. We are a peculiar people, especially the way the world looks at us. We're strange. But that's the way God wants it. That's the way God designed it. He doesn't want us to be like them. He wants us to be different than everybody else. Our values, our priorities, our attitudes, our actions, everything about a Christian, just like everything about God's people in the book of Exodus, should be different than all those around them. Incredibly, the Lord responds to Moses in the affirmative. Verse 17, I will do this thing also that you have requested, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Wow. Again, God responds to Moses' request, give and take. They're friends. Yes, he's a holy God, and Moses has a great respect and reverence for God, but there's a closeness and intimacy that he has with God that he knows he can speak with God face to face like a friend does. And then Moses makes an even more bold and audacious request. Show me your glory. The word for glory literally means weight. G Moses is saying, God, I want to feel the full weight of your person. I want you to just come down and just fall on top of us. Let us feel your full weight, God. Again, no one knew God more than Moses did, and yet he was not satisfied. He wanted to see more of God. He wanted to feel more of God in his life. May that be our desire as well. What's the Lord's response? I will make all my goodness pass before your face. Notice that the one attribute God uses to sum, or sum up all of his attributes, all of his nature is what? His goodness. God is good. Our God is a good God. And even God uses the word goodness to describe everything that he is. May we never forget how good our God is. And he says, I'll make my goodness literally flow past your face. 
And when I do, I will proclaim the Lord by name before you. When God passes, notice he proclaims. When God meets with his people, he speaks. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. But then he added this. Moses, you cannot see my faith, for no one can see me and live. I can't show you my full weight. I can't reveal all that I am to you because you wouldn't live. Think about that in light of eternity. As long as we're in these mortal bodies, we can't see the full revelation of God. But one day, one day, in our glorified bodies, when we see him, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. God will give us the glorified eyeballs to be able to take in the fullness of God. What a day that will be. The Lord said, I love this, even though God is going to grant Moses' request and show him more of himself than he's ever seen before, God says, I got to protect you. If I don't protect you, again, it's not going to go well for you. So here's what I want you to do. Here is a place by me you will station yourself on a rock. I love that phrase. First of all, notice there's a place by me for you. I want you to put yourself in that phrase. God is saying to all of us, there's a place by me for you. And you can station yourself here on this rock. The word station means to be settled, to be established. Exactly what we talked about in verse 14. God's presence bring, brings rest. It brings settledness and stability to our lives. When God's presence is in the room, nothing else is needed. We are on the rock. And when my glory passes by, I'll even put you in the crevice of this rock and cover you with my hand while I pass by so that you will be protected. Then I'll take away my hand at just the right moment and you will see my back. Literally, the afterglow. You will see the afterglow of my glory, but my face you must not see. Think about the intimacy and closeness and connection that Moses has had with God up to this point, and yet he's going to even see him in a greater way, and it's still just the afterglow of God. I mean, it's just amazing. The person of God. The glory of God, how great he is, how wonderful he is, how beautiful he is. And yet he sort of has to just reveal himself piecemeal to us because we can't take him all in at one time. And I, I want that to be an encouragement to you as we wrap things up here tonight. God will never even in our lives today, no matter how much we want more of God, he will never come into our life at any time and just lay it all out there. We, we couldn't absorb it. We can only absorb little bits of God at a time. And so God will just give us little glimpses 
of himself and the afterglow, but it's enough for us to sustain us and strengthen us and keep us going. But always know there's so much more of God that he is yet to reveal to us. And what God is looking for is a people like Moses that will stand before God face to face and say to him, show me your way, God. Show me your glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for how one man, Lord, had such a close, intimate connection with you how that one man and that relationship, fellowship, friendship that he had with you was such an inspiration to others. God, help us to catch a vision for that in our own life. That we can have what Moses had, even to a greater degree, through the Holy Spirit who lives within us. God will always be willing to reveal more of himself to us if we want more of him. He's just looking for hearts like Moses, that no matter how much we've already learned of him and know of him and experienced of him, that we continually say to him, show me your way, God. Show me your glory. May we, the Oasis Church, be a church filled with people whose hearts are there. May that worship song, Show Me Your Glory, be our anthem, God, in this season. That when your presence is in the room, nothing else is needed. Go with us, God, from this place. For if you do not go with us, then why are we even going, God? All the trappings and blessings of this world do not make up for the lacking of your presence. Give us your presence, and we have everything we need. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for being here. We'll see you Sunday.